Only God can heal a broken heart. We just have to give them all the pieces. This is Heart Table. Okay, so this is number two of the Heart Table podcast. Uh, we just want to say a warm welcome to everybody that is listening in. Again, we are so excited that we're we're just getting kicking this thing down the road. It's been about two and a half years in the making that all four of us, Larry, Terry, Bill, and myself, Marcus, that have gotten together to form the Heart Table and to create a curriculum, a life group experience to help people deal with life wounds. That's what we're all about. And we actually have something special we're going to be doing today for our second podcast. Now, first, I want to just tell you, if you're listening in and you've had life wounds, they can penetrate to the depths of your soul and it can affect your soul. And Larry Malone is going to be sharing his incredible, incredible story that talks about his life wounds and how he was healed from them. And so, guys, how did I do? <laughs> All right. Yeah. So we're we're gonna again. This is a raw, real podcast. This is we don't. You know, we'll have fumbles here and there, but we just uh, ask for your patience as we're making this better for you. But what we care about most is you get the most out of this, and that we can create tools, resources to help you heal from life wounds. So, Larry, I'd love to hand it over to you and love to hear this story of yours. Well, my pleasure. When I was a young man, freedom to me uh, was about flight in airplanes. And I started at a very young age. And by the time I was 15, I was in the process of getting my licenses. And I ended up uh, making a decision to go to school and uh, to college for in aeronautics because that was that was my thing. And at 20 years old, two things happened there. I was halfway through college, but I also married my wife, and we're now married 54 years. And I also began the Navy Aviation Reserve Program for pilots, and it involved going in on, in the summer. And then as soon as you graduate, you go into the pilot pipeline as an officer, as an ensign. Mm -hmm. So that's what happened to me. And um, in 1970, I graduated. And uh, in 1971, I got my wings in the Navy. And I really excelled in it, really in every way, and flight and academics, I was kind of born to do that. So I got to choose what aircraft I flew, and I chose to fly the A-6, which is a low-level, large carrier-based bomber. So that was my machine, and I learned how to fly that, and um, it was exciting. But I was on my way to war in, in 1972, maybe about 10 months after I got my wings, I was on my way to a squadron that was headed to Vietnam on the USS Enterprise. And I'm only at that time, I'm 24 years old and hadn't really thought too much about war, but it had arrived in my life. And what I experienced out there was, um, it was a rapid exposure to death. And it was, um, it was a combination of death of my friends and some of those I got to observe 
And it was also involving a lot of nameless people that we call the foes, the enemy. And it certainly included some innocent civilians because bombs just don't discriminate in that way. So I was good at my job, but one night I had my final flight. My bombardier and I took off from the aircraft carrier for a night single plane, low level mission into North Vietnam, kind of the, the worst, worst mission. And so on our way, just preparing to go in, my bombardier just kind of casually said, uh, hey, you think you we're going to make it? And I didn't answer him, but it, 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 his question really troubled me, but I answered it inside. And I said to myself, I don't know, but I don't think so. So we went in and we, we did our mission. The mission was one of those that nobody wants to fly because it was a political mission. It, it, we passed bond, uh, bridges and power plants and high value targets to go to a suspected truck park. We unloaded our weapons there. We turned around and hightailed it back out. We got shot out, shot at and not hit. And now it was time for us to go high, 30,000 feet, and wait for the time to land. And I was really troubled. Hmm. I knew that something had happened that I could not continue any longer. I made a decision uh, airborne before I landed that this was my last flight. I told my bombardier that when we land, I'm going to rip my wings off and quit. And that's what I did. Now, what looking back there, there was there was wounds of at least three different kinds. And one was uh, the, the wound of the role that I actually had, the bombing role. There was another wound that was really involved in quitting. I hadn't quit anything in my life. And I just quit the biggest thing that had ever happened to me. And I didn't even know why. And then... I really assassinated my own identity at that point. I didn't know it at the time, but the only identity I really carried was that of a, you know, kind of a hotshot jet pilot, honestly, but it was gone. So 10 years later, fast forward, I'm now a civilian getting my life going in uh, civilian life. Things look pretty good on the outside, had a good job, good family, but I was troubled and angry inside to the point where I was swearing when I was by myself and didn't know why or who or what I was swearing at. So I thought, well, maybe I should get some help here. And I started seeing a union psychologist and I really needed to be there, but I also was closed up to be able to talk about anything related to the war. After about a year, there was enough trust developed between he and I and he knew the war had to be dealt with. So one day he asked me again, tell me about the war, Larry. What'd you do? I flew airplanes. Well, what'd you fly? I flew a bomber. Did you drop bombs in Vietnam? Yes. Then how many people do you think you killed? With that question, I just came outside of myself. I just about came out toward him. And he looked at me and he said, I think we need to stay here a while. And I go, uh, yeah. yeah. So uh, that began the question 
He said, really, how many people do you think you killed? I, I know you don't know, but give me a number. And then find, a, find something to represent those people. So I came back in the next session and I said, I came up with 400. And I don't know why, but I got 400 pennies, eight rolls of pennies, cracked them open, put them in a pile on a table. And he said, well, what do you think about the pennies? And I said, I don't think about them. I don't know what to do with them. There they are. So then he said, um, time for you to take moral inventory. Have you ever done that? I go, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, answer the question that I give you, what conditions have to exist for you to be justified in your own self to take the life, to kill another person? And make sure you don't use the excuse that somebody told you to do it, even like your government. This is yours to own. So I came back in the next session and I said, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is I have three answers. Somebody's going to kill me. Somebody's going to kill my family or hurt them, or somebody is going to actually take away my freedom. That's the good news. The bad news is this. None of the conditions were met. At that moment, all went silent. He looked at me. I looked at him. The air was pregnant. The word in the air was forgiveness. What do I do with this? This is my conviction of my own actions, no one else. Wow. He looked at me after carefully considering this and he said, Larry, this is not a psychological problem. This is a spiritual, spiritual and or moral problem. Mm. And I go, wow. oh, okay, well, what do I do with that? Because I was adept at that point at dream analysis, because that's what he did, you know, as a union guy. He said, um, you know, pay attention to what's going on in your dreams. I had a dream very soon. I believe it may have been that night after I talked to him. It was. I had a dream that was radical. The first thing that happened in the dream is when a balloon went up, it meant that this was absolutely true. So a balloon goes up. Then a voice starts speaking to me, and the voice immediately identifies as Jesus. Hmm. Jesus said, you are really in trouble, really in trouble. And what I have to say to you is you need to come to me now. Wow. And after he said that, and there was a pause, hmm. there was one little postscript he put on it. You seem to think that you need to explain to me and to other people what happened. I know. I was there. I was with you. I woke up from that dream sweating and just an absolute mess. I started to drive to work. Often when I was going to work, there was a church I would pass and sometimes there would be a pastor in front of me that pulled off into that church. That's what happened the next morning. White-haired guy pulls off into the parking lot. I follow him in. He's opening the door to his office. And I said, can I talk to you? And he said, sure, come on in. I told him about the dream. And he looked at me. He looked at me. He actually looked in my eyes, but he was looking at my soul. And he said to me, he chuckled a little bit. He said, you know, I usually have to work harder than this. He said, boy, 
Are you ready? I fell flat on my face. Was I ready? I was going to die. That's the beginning of my story. And when hope arrived. Mm. Thank you. Amazing. Amazing. Well, I'll just say, it just gives me chills just listening to Larry's story. And it, I mean, Larry, I mean, you, there's more to that story. Oh, much more. <laughs> yeah. That's enough for this. And that's enough for this because it's intense and it's a lot, it's a lot to uh, tell. And there's a lot of emotions. I, I know that's packed behind that voice of yours. And um, I just want to thank you. I want to really thank you for, for telling us that story. Yes. And uh, later I found that this wound that I described for you yeah. took re residence in my soul. Hmm. That's why I tell you this story. Yeah. There's can you, and can you expand on that just a little bit? What that means um, to you? Trauma. We all know about PTSD now. This all yeah. happened when PTSD was just, uh, you know, a study word in a psychologist's library but I know about trauma and I know about how powerful it can be. And I know also that many times psychiatrists and, and, and psychologists and others can help people with PTSD and sometimes medication helps and other things. Hmm. I also know that the wound that happens in PTSD, repeated trauma, deep trauma, has a way to actually transit from a psychological problem right into the sore into the soul core of a being when a wound gets to that place there is exactly one thing in the universe that has the power to touch it to console it and to heal it yeah. and that one yeah. word is love and it only comes it comes from one source the divine source and it either comes directly in communication with God one-on-one, -on -one, or it comes through what God does with other people to deliver God's love to another human being. That's it. That's it. Yep. There are no other ways to touch and heal the soul wound. That's interesting. So thank you, Larry. And again, thank you for sharing this incredible story. I'm, I'm so excited to hear more of it. And we will share that with our guests uh, or the, the listeners that have come to the heart table. You, you, you are sharing, uh, when you're listening to this podcast, you are, I want you to imagine you coming around a table with friends and that's where you're at right now. And so we are just so thankful that you've joined us and you're listening out there. Um, I wanted to really quickly turn this to Bill. Bill, you listen to Larry's story. You've heard it before. What does this have to do with what we're doing uh, with, with the hard table? Yeah, I, I'm going to make it really simple. It's, and it's about sharing stories, but rather, I'm not going to go into any great deal. We have a, what do you want to call a slogan, motto, heartfelt belief, and it is this. Only God can heal a broken heart but you have to give him all the pieces. Amen. And around the heart table is where you discover the pieces to give to God. Mm. It begins that process. Okay. Well said. 
Oh, well, there you go. That's a wrap then. So, well, we're again, thank you for uh, joining us. Episode two of the heart table. If you have any questions or actually want to get involved with the heart table, you can go, you can either pray for us, you can make a financial donation, or you can simply just send us a message. If you go to www.hearttable.org, you can find us there. And again, thank you for coming to this episode's Heart Table. This has been Heart Table with William Roberts, Terry Smith, Larry Malone, and Marcus Miazzo. Edited by Randy Strew for Envision Podcasting and copyright 2021 to Heart Table. For more information, visit hearttable.org.